Hi everyone, uh, Editor Olivia here. I uh, just wanted to record a bumper before the episode proper to fix an error in the original episode. So a thing that happens is I say that we're going to be deliberate about crediting uh, the people who write the games that we cover from now on, and then I forget to do that for Fellowship because we get distracted making fun of Lancer again. Uh, so sorry for being a huge bitch. Uh, I just wanted to properly say that uh, the game we cover this month, Fellowship, is written by Vel Mini. Um, she is also the author of uh, the game Panic at the Dojo, which I know Hannah was also interested in doing for this podcast, um, as, it, as it were. Kind of a funny coincidence. Anyway, just wanted to properly credit her uh, for, you know, writing the game that we cover uh, on this episode of Do Not Steal. Um... Because it's, I don't know, it's a good thing to do. It's important to me. I'm losing the train of this. I'm just going to stop recording. I hope you enjoyed the episode, because we super, super did. Yeah. Welcome to Do Not Steal, a podcast about tabletop criticism, but more importantly, also about our OCs. Uh, I'm the host who didn't think of a title and is homosexual, <laughs> Olivia Joseph. Hello. And with, and with me today, I have, I, I, well, I was going to call you another homosexual, but then I realized <laughs> I, I don't want to put a label on you that you're not necessarily comfortable with so uh hannah uh it's hannah i am my my nickname uh is homosexual too i am always <laughs> calling myself homosexual too um i'm thinking right now about this famous Stephen a smith tweet uh where like he got cut off by like 2010 uh like twitter account limits and the fact that he didn't know how to use twitter um <laughs> and what he said was i am not going to be talking about kobe bryant I am going to be talking about the homosexual. <laughs> That's me. Yes. <laughs> That's me whenever I message my whenever <laughs> I message my friends who like sports, but I'm sending them like gotcha game shipping art. <laughs> yes. I want I want to like go into 2K and just make a character whose nickname is the homosexual. <laughs> The homosexual. Oh, Stephen yeah. A. S- Stephen A. Smith is the take a look at this y'all guy, right? Uh, yeah, he's take a look. Img fourteen thirty six Um, he's a wonderful man. He's he's beautiful. He's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. Um, <laughs> there was a clip of his that recently resurfaced where uh he and his co-host at the time seemed to be reviewing the dark knight and he was like <laughs> pro the dark knight his co-host was more anti the dark knight but the one thing that they could agree on is that um like i think that his co-host was just like kind of saying that like oh maggie Jalen hall isn't hot enough to like you know be a love interest and you know i th- I, th- I don't think like stephen disagreed with that but he just very quickly like hijacked the conversation to be like okay here's my short list for who batman should fuck halle berry beyonce gabrielle union 
<laughs> I just love the idea of Batman showing up on a Chris Nolan set and just being like, hey, you have to have Batman give love to the sisters. <laughs> uh, good lord. What a wonderful what a, moment. What a situation that I've just learned about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was going to oh. say that I should make a Stephen A. Smith in one of these episodes of Do Not Steal eventually, but I remembered <laughs> that I have, in fact, already put a thinly-veiled Stephen A. Smith in a campaign that I GM, so <laughs> I don't want to go to that well too many times. True. There's only so many times. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. We're, we're, we are... D- today... We are not talking about Kobe Bryant. No. We, we are talking about The Fellowship. <laughs> a tabletop adventure game by Jacob Randolph. God, I just, I, I now just really want to see, like, the beautiful, like, cover art treatments for all these RPG books, but just, instead of Fellowship 2nd Edition, it says Homosexual 2nd Edition. Homosexual. Sometimes homosexual, like become homosexual. your best self. Sometimes I feel like the homosexual second edition. God. <laughs> a new, more advanced uh, type of homosexual. <laughs> I, I, okay. I decided we should start saying the names of the people who make these games because I feel bad about not saying it. Well, mostly the first time. I don't care about the Lancer guys. Sure. I looked up in, oh, Lancer update. If you don't follow me on Twitter, <laughs> but you do listen to my podcast somehow, I. So remember how in the Lancer episode we were kind of like leaving out some space for like, okay, maybe they kind of understand what they're doing with Union, but, but uh-huh. you know, they're just doing it poorly. No, I found an interview where they like straight up said that they made Union to be like the good guys who are trying their hardest. Um, and they may, they may F it up sometimes, but darn it, they're trying, which is just plainly United States propaganda. Yeah. Um, there's also another quote tweet about how people apparently frequently come to them and ask, like, is the union secretly evil? And they go like, huh, where did you get that notion? So, uh, I, I we, love... we were so nice. We were, we were we, so nice on that episode. We held back, frankly. Um, <laughs> there's so much more that, like, we could say about, uh, about Lancer, but, you know... Uh, what is the title of this episode? I want to say it's Fellowship. Yes, this is the Fellowship episode. Okay, so if we get in more digs at Lancer, they have to be, like, really roundabout and, like, coded signals that we have to, like, uh, put in there through our discussion of Fellowship. I'm going to read you a quote from Fellowship about Fellowship. Sure. The quote goes, Fellowship is a game about the journey. Several heroes will travel the world together, seeing a variety of interesting places on their journey to stop a great evil from destroying the land. That's Fellowship. That's Fellowship. Uh, it is a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which is something that we've talked about previously. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the game, you and, your fr- and most of your friends play as, like, fantasy adventuring characters who are like the champions of their respective races you know there's a lot of like there's a lot of lord of the rings going on here um and you go on a journey to stop the overlord who is played by another one of your friends or maybe you don't play tabletop games with your friends who am i to judge but this other person (laughs) you you get together your sworn enemies and you play a tabletop game with them 
Okay, but based on some tabletop stories yeah. that I've heard, not that far off. No. <laughs> I've I've heard some I've heard of some tabletop groups who fucking hate each other. Yeah. Um Um Yeah, so one person is playing the Overlord instead mm-hmm. of the like traditional, like kind of like Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master role. Uh, you know, one player is playing the like villain who is, you know, getting ready to destroy the world. And yeah. that is sort of the way that they kind of like approach, you know, being kind of like the you know, the game master position, so and so. Yeah, because I was about to say, hold on, one player plays like the villain and the, the challenges that the heroes must face. I know what that's called. That's a game master. Um But the... more but more literally so, right? Like Yeah. You are playing a character who is creating the challenges, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I think a couple differences are that, like, there can be whole scenes that don't really require input from the, the player who's playing the Overlord. Um, like, you know, one of the, the kind of recommendations for, for how to keep things running is that, like, the players will look to the Overlord to kind of keep things running if they, you know, run out of ideas. And when that happens, then the Overlord should be ready to throw a challenge or a setback in front of them, right? But it's hmm. not in the sort of mode where it's like, okay, every town is described by the Overlord, every scenario is described by the Overlord, every, you know, NPC is played by the Overlord. It's much more, like, kind of focused down, like you said, to, like, yeah, you are still controlling the challenge and the threat and whatnot, but you are playing that main villain who has, like, more bounded rules to them. Um, which I think is, like, another way that this differs from, uh, like, typical Game Master challenges. It's not just that, like, okay, well, you have this, like, list of things that you can throw at the players, and you can kind of just do whatever you want um, and make them roll whatever you want. It's more that, like, you know, you have a set of armies, you have your general, you have your actual Overlord character, um, and then you just, you know, kind of work with that right um mm-hmm. so it's it's a lot less like all powerful than a gm can be yeah they definitely i f- the game definitely like kind of takes steps to kind of constrain like you know o- the overlord's actions and kind of like give them a set of tools that they work with versus saying like you're the big dog who makes all the rules <laughs> yeah um yeah, and then I think it, another thing that it does is it kind of, like, it also kind of takes some world-building authority more explicitly away from the game master position and towards the players, because every every player kind of, like, playbook has certain aspects of the world that they are the, like, authority on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, being kind of, like, champions of your cultures means that, like, you are the person who decides things about that culture, you know? Yeah, it's it's very much like a collaborative world building thing. There's no like kind of canonical setting to it. Um, instead, there's just a lot of guidelines about like, here are the archetypes that should be present. Here are ideas for what you can do with those archetypes. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll be something where like, you know, you look at um, like one of the playbooks, for example, is the orc. And it says like, okay, well, what is an orc? And you choose one of the options and they're like, Children of fire, daughters of chaos, spawn of darkness, sons of war. Um, And so, like, what it does with a lot of these is, like, let you, the player, 
kind of sketch out and define what this broad archetype even is, right? Like, this is something that shows up in a bunch of, like, fantasy settings, but, like, what an orc is, what an elf is, aren't always going to be the same, and to have that specific interpretation is going to be up to the person who says, give me that good, good orc. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how to feel about that. Yeah. Um... I kind of want to like ask you this question and maybe like work through our, our fe- you know, my feelings about it as we talk about it. Cause like what it does is it's kind of like taking the traditional like fantasy races and abstracting them into archetypes. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I like that more or less than just doing the fantasy races, you know? Cause like orcs, orcs as they exist are like, canon like a race of cannon fodder like token evil like monster people that are based on like real world racial stereotypes right yep and in in, and in fellowship the orc is not that necessarily but it, it orcs are a type of like people who no matter what are going to have like they are associated with violence They make, you know, they are rough. They are, like, um, gruff. They make things that are ugly to the other races. This is a thing that comes up a few times. Yeah. Um, They make things that are, you know, like, simple and unsophisticated and, like, brute force and ugly. And, like, I wonder, and and I, I don't know where that comes from. But to me, I I feel like it kind of just like takes the takes the you know capital P problematic aspects of these and kind of like massages them out, you know? Yeah, I I so I think that like a lot of what they're trying to do here is to kind of like create this engine for redemptive readings to mm-hmm. say that like oh you you might think that the orc is just like you know a. Uh, uh, a simple-minded warmonger but actually they're all about progress and you know rebelling against unfair orders and whatnot and it's like well does that actually make it better right like it still mm-hmm. is this thing where like a quote race end quote in the biggest scare quotes as possible like is given these inherent traits and is like you know that you are the exemplar of that people the representative of that people and that you also like define what they do um it kind of really shows the limits of like what you can do with like these redemptive readings of fantasy tropes and yeah yeah get why you want them but i i'm wondering in a sense about like why is it that like the specific touchstones of like human orc elf dwarf halfling are what needed to be recreated here and given those like different kind of um, like manifestations, those like different options for like, what is an orc? What is an elf? Versus just having the archetypes be things like, you know, the big guy, the trickster, the ancient one. Um, Yeah. These are like, I get the idea that like what this game is doing is trading on these fantasy archetypes and like letting you recreate these like childhood stories of like, you know, classical fantasy and, you know, a group of unlikely companions uniting to defeat a great evil. But like, 
it's it's weird that what it zeroes in on is these specific like again races of Tolkien of D and D etc. Um, rather than the idea that like okay well what does a fellowship need it needs a leader it needs you know like the sort of brooding mysterious guy it needs the light-hearted trickster etc um yeah and it like kind of like i mean the logic of it right is that like you you know it like speaking of the pro- you know problematic tropes right it kind of, it bakes in you know the idea that like you are a representative of your race you know like yep. you are the you are the orc who speaks for all of the orcs it bakes in the idea that there can be a representative of a race yeah and even if you're like you know it doesn't mandate that if you know if you say orcs are like this that your character is like this mm-hmm. but it definitely leads you to to that conclusion you know and that's what i mean about like this stuff kind of being like baked in you know like yeah it's it's not explicit like it doesn't say you are the represent you are like the archetype of your race and you know um but you it doesn't say that kind of explicitly but you are and several of the prestige classes you know what what are called the destiny playbooks in this which are like you know kind of like the the master class that you get to take when you get strong enough, they are racial and they are tied to like becoming this like paragon of your race. And that's a little weird. A little bit. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's weird as well because like there's a couple here that aren't necessarily tied to like exact, um, you know, fantasy races. <laughs> and again, every time I say that word, it's in like the biggest scare quote because like, yeah. The ways that it's just been deployed are, like, really gross, obviously. Um, I think that, like, yeah. anyone who's yeah. listened to the podcast through this point is probably at least somewhat on board with these premises. But mm-hmm. it's so weird to have, like, the orc as an archetype right alongside the squire. And it's yeah. like, wait, hold on. Is yeah, the squire like, not an orc then? Like, yeah. is, is this not, like, you know, uh, an orc who is just... Uh, really enchanted by tales of uh like chivalry like maybe like you know uh comes from a village where like that stuff didn't happen and and that like archetype didn't exist but wants to like you know get in on it um is an orc not a squire no matter what or is it just that there are like some ones that can be any people but again it's so weird because like the all of the the playbooks no matter what have discussions of your people one of the Mm. potential origins for the squire is for your people um and Mm -hmm. it's it's again like how do you have those two concepts on equal playing fields the squire is this idea of like what i was talking about where it's like that is an archetype of like a character rather than a race but even then like there are things in the squire's playbook that mechanically associated with the air which mm-hmm. is like, you know, which again is another character archetype, but is associated with just like, you know, kind of like default human, human, you know, which is also in, you know, this traditional fantasy, like white, you know, like, yeah, you don't in this kind of game, like you don't have to be, you know, like, you don't have to be like the kind of like, you know, the capital O other that is like a representative, of like your whole race but in order to do that, you have to kind of, like, uh, align yourself with, like, a, a human default. 
Yeah. Um, which is, you know, race, which is something that is racially associated, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that like, in a sense, it's trying to have its cake and eat it too. In a lot of ways. Um, it's trying to like present these very classic ideas of, you know, like unreconstructed, um, Tolkien fantasy, uh, but to also say that, like, no, 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 we're we're giving you all these options now, and it doesn't have to be like problematic in the way that it was. But mm-hmm. what a lot of that just ends up doing is like kind of putting the burden on the player and saying, like, well, if you can't do anything, like, figure out a way to like be comfortable with having the orcs be a people who are defined by very specific things, and to have your character be the exemplar of the orcs then that's mm-hmm. your fault, right? And I think that that's a little unfair of a way to to kind of, like, approach this type of character building. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me... You know what it reminds me of? It's like... It kind of reminds me of those, like... There was, like, an era of movies. I don't know if they still make these kinds of movies, because I don't really go to the movies. But, like... Okay. I'm thinking, like, around when, like, they first rebooted Star Wars, right? Like, this era of movies, which is, like, we're gonna make the classic movies, but there's gonna be a girl protagonist, and, like, the love interest is gonna be a man of color, but also we're gonna kind of, like, take a few shots at men and how men suck, but we've turned the, you know, the primary guy who would have been this archetype into a man of color, so we've kind of just, like, are lambasting the one, like, man of color in this movie, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Just like, we want to, just like this kind of, like, change a traditional format to, like, try to make it, like, more progressive, and in doing so, you know, kind of, like, reinforce or, like, create new you know reinscribe like a different kind of like prejudice in there you know yeah i i this is like um i think just today the the show uh the falcon and the winter soldier premiered and it comes in a context of like marvel taking like 21 movies to have a poc lead um Mm -hmm. and they're now like kind of um it was like one of our friends made this point very well uh, on a locked account so i don't want to necessarily out them but it was that like marvel is getting so much credit for like trading off of its own deficiencies in like you know progressivism and representation to say that like we had 20 minutes of black people only being present as like uh uh sidekicks that don't get their own glory and don't get their own focus and now we are cashing in on that by having a series that is about how you know hard it is to be a black sidekick who doesn't get any of the focus and whatnot and yeah that just feels very cynical i saw a clip from that show where like the falcon is like we need a new kind of hero for a new kind of age and then it cuts to like don chinola's war machine and it's like bro fuck you 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 did that yeah like you know there's like no representation in in marvel main characters because you didn't cast them that way you know yeah and yeah just I feel like to make that comparison is, I think, maybe unfair to Fellowship. I think Fellowship is like, I want to assume good faith mm-hmm. for the creation of Fellowship. I don't think yeah. it's like At Disney the very level. least, like Fellowship is not made by like a multi-billion dollar conglomerate that's eating culture. No. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to, yeah, so I want to assume this like, you know, wanting to kind of like 
utilize this fantasy framework while also changing it and trying to make it more open comes from a good place of like wanting to to critically kind of change these things mm-hmm. um but just not you know not necessarily doing that or like targeting the wrong thing you know i think the problem with the orc is not like specifically like the specific traits of the orc it's more mm-hmm. the archetypical like like or maybe the problem with the orc is the specific traits of the orc, but also the idea that the archetype of the orc like exists at all. You know, yeah, I think that is like the, that the ar- orc ground. itself could be archetypical. Yeah, like, um, yeah. And I, I, I you, think that well, this is a, an issue as well that like kind of comes with the territory of not defining like a core setting um, and trying to be expansive of a lot of things, right? Because we've been talking about Lord of the Rings repeatedly, but like. There are a number of other touchstones that, like, it keeps uh, referencing throughout the... um, Mm -hmm. uh, true. Yeah, like, uh, throughout the book. Like, um, Avatar The Last Airbender. um, Something called Wakfu, which I don't know what it is. I apologize if you're a big fan of that. Dragon Quest. Final Fantasy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's trying to, like, kind of serve a lot of masters and capture a lot of things that like people like about these various classic like you know fantasy series and whatnot um but i think that by like not necessarily committing to anything it kind of has to stretch things out into like you know very um like broad archetypes and say that those are the archetypes um because mm. like you know i think that if you had a defined setting and there were like you know uh orcish kingdoms or like you know orcish clans or whatever you want to define it as it would be very difficult i think to like navigate that in a way that wouldn't like you know fall prey to either like you know the traditional um problematic way in which those guys show up or to what we've been talking about as these like ideas of like guys we're woke now um but i think that that would be like a little more possible and i think that again by like kind of offloading that onto the players and saying that like if you want to have these orcs in here if you want to have these halflings elves dwarves in here then it's up to you to determine like what specifically they are i think that that is like you know it it allows for a lot of player creativity but it's also it, it it kind of makes them inherently vague except for those like broad basic archetypes that we've been talking about yeah, like, you have to boil it down to the essentials, and the essentials are racist. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> racist bit, essentials. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I like the idea. I don't feel like the idea is terrible of, like, you're going to create a character who comes from a culture, and then mm-hmm. you, the player, get to define that culture. I think that is the seed of a good idea, you know? Like, yeah. Um... And I, I, maybe, I do think that, like, just maybe you know, it needed another... I think it just needed another structure to it, you know? Yeah. And I, I do think that, like, when we talk about, like, the the ways in which uh, conflating one race with, like, a monoculture um, is, is something that has, like, shown up in so many different fantasies and has been kind of iffy throughout, um, it's not that, like, you just can't have a culture in fantasy, right? It's not that, like... Every kingdom, every tribe, every clan 
has to all have like perfectly unified traits and that like there can't be one that is more based on like you know a, a history of like uh like like an oral tradition and there's one that's more based on like you know uh scholarly pursuits and etc um it's the idea of like kind of conflating those differences in culture with like physical phenotype because that's something that's like you know very very prevalent in historical and contemporary racism right um Mm -hmm. to say that like differences in culture are inherent to like skin color or to other aspects of phenotype and again it's if this was just the idea of like your archetype is the trickster your archetype is the scholar your archetype is the nomad then there are still pitfalls that are possible throughout that but i think that it's a lot better in that regard to just say that like well what is it that people are actually looking for in fantasy uh you know archetypes Mm -hmm. is it the specific like kind of physical representations and the real world cultural equivalents that often get tossed onto them such as like you know dwarves being irish or scottish or whatnot Mm -hmm. or is it the idea of having these kind of like hard drinking hard partying but also like very industrious guys um and i i i think that again there is space to have this champion of a culture concept Mm -hmm. but to tie it so directly to these classic fantasy races is feels a little stifling Mm -hmm. no i think maybe it would have like i don't know i don't want to rewrite it but i think like yeah like what is this podcast for if not rewriting things based on thinking about them for a week I feel like our podcast is more about writing our own things based on the things. <laughs> but fair point. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it would have worked. Maybe this, like, champion of your people, like, paragon of your people idea, maybe would have worked as, like, its own playbook, you know? Like. I like I mean, that idea, st- yeah. You still get into some, you can still get into some problems, but I feel like yeah. it's less of a problem when it's, like, an, a single option and maybe you know constructed in a certain yeah. way to like encourage you to you know not make it a problem versus like a core component of the game which i think it very much is like yeah this is like core to the game the- i feel kind of bad that it's been half an hour and we haven't talked about like <laughs> how the game works but we kind of are like this is how the game works. yeah for sure you know um yeah just as a as a quick aside there um, there's this guy that I played RPGs with sometimes in college who, no matter what the campaign was, no matter what the setting was, he would roll up with his same, like, brooding, mysterious samurai with snake motifs. Um, and so I imagine just if it is that thing where it's like, okay, well, you can be all these different archetypes or you can be the champion of your people. Him just, like, zeroing in on that one and to kill Bill Siren's play and he's like, say no more. <laughs> I am the champion of the snake people who are all samurais. <laughs> and again, this is something that like we've I think we've been talking about a lot of these games through the lens of like what they would be like if like our friends tried to play them, right? Um but there are also people who are just going to like look at these and be like, "Oh hell yeah, Orc, I love those guys. They're big, they're mm-hmm. funny." Um, and there are going to be... And sometimes even I'm that person, you know? Yeah, orcs are big and funny. Um, it's like, 
you know, I, I understand that there are all these, like, cultural things that are built up in it, but sometimes I really want to be a big funny guy. I want to be the I want to be the big girl with the horns. That's yeah. cool to me. Big fuck off horns. Uh, um, but yeah, like, like you said, I think that this is how the game works because mm-hmm. if we're talking about like the core systems, um, I think we explained some of how it's different from like the standard Power by the Apocalypse game. But we already mm-hmm. explained in last episode like what Power by the Apocalypse games are broadly like, and it's not that different, mm-hmm. right? It's but a resolution. I, wanna, I do, I do want to discuss the nitty gritty a bit. Yeah, please do, because I like it basically. Yeah. Um, because like one thing, one thing that I like about this game, it's like very, very narrative. You know, mm-hmm. um, we talked about how I think we talked about in the Eidolon episode that like a lot of games are very like here's the narrative stuff and then here's the combat stuff. You know, yeah. Um, and we and then and we talked about how we tend to favor like a game system where everything is kind of like under the same kind of rules, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, we tend to say, like, give me the combat game or give me the like all narrative game. And this is definitely like it's all narrative, like the the whole way this game is constructed is like in a narrative format. Um, yeah. And so it really encourages you to like think about things in terms of scenes, you know, and set everything in terms of a scene where there's a problem. You have to figure out what the stakes of the problem are, what you Mm -hmm. want to happen as the characters deal with the problem. And then like, what is the best case? What is the worst case? And then like play from there, you know, like it, it's very much like, it really encourages you, I think, to like, think like a writer who is writing a story. Yeah. And I, I, I think that like, a good example of this is the way that, like, threats are resolved. Um, this role isn't used for all threat resolution, but it's it's kind of a go-to for, like, climactic moments where you uh, deal with the threat that's immediately in front of you. It's called a finish-them roll. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, what do you roll for it? Well, the answer is, if you finish them by trying to kill them, roll plus blood. By forcing them to retreat, roll plus courage outsmarting terrifying or overwhelming them role plus grace and so on right so there's like a way that all of the main stats have um to kind of like create all these different narrative modes and it's Mm -hmm. not just this idea that like okay there's a monster in front of us this is a combat challenge so let's have the combat characters come in and do their combat thing um, mm-hmm. There are characters that like are going to be more effective in certain situations and have more opportunities to shine, but it's mm-hmm. very much based around like this, like you said, this narrative idea where a lot of the systems are kind of flattened out. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I mean that in the way of the the mechanics are there to support the idea of you figuring out through the narrative how this scene could go, like how the tension could rise and then fall. And then the mechanics are often there to be like, here are things that can support you in that structure that you just came up with. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what it reminds me of is it reminds me of Undertale. How so? Like in the way that Undertale was like, kind of one of the like things that undertale if i'm remembering this right one of the things that like undertale says to you the player is like this is an rpg where you don't have to kill anyone like where 
all of your, like, fights or conflicts can be resolved in some sort of, like, peaceful manner, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it, you know, you just have to find, like, what you can do that, like, affects that peaceful resolution. And there's a very similar kind of, like, paragraph in Fellowship, which is, like, nonviolence, it says in the book, is actually, like, a core facet of this game. Like, it is designed so that you can deal with every sort of, like, threat or opponent or like thing that gets in your way without picking up a sword and trying to kill someone and i think that's cool like we yeah we haven't we haven't played a game so far where that is explicitly the case you know yeah because i think that like even something like um you know eidolon is going to have an assumption of combat it yeah. is a... I mean, the Vanguard exists, right? Like Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, like, you know, here, there are characters that are going to have plus two on blood, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're playing an orc, you have plus two on blood no matter what, and that's kind of, like, the combat stat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing where, like, that even doesn't necessarily mean that you are just rolling through and cutting heads off right like the core move for blood is overcome when you attempt to avoid redirect or prevent the harm something will cause roll plus blood um so like fundamentally you don't have to structure your um like your your set pieces in any specific way um and it really does allow for like the party and the narrative that they want to create to come to the fore if you have a party that's, like, composed entirely of people who, like, you know, favor nonviolent solutions to things in different ways, then that's not the sort of thing where you're just going to get screwed whenever a combat encounter comes up. Yeah, and even the blood move is, like, it's based on stopping someone from being harmed, you know? Yep. And, I don't know, I, I do think that's neat. I like that. Yeah. Also, the stat is called blood, which is sick. I think, it is, yeah. I think more games should let me have a blood stat. Yeah. Again, I I do think that, like, this and last episode have kind of been a journey of me coming to really appreciate the things that Powered by the Apocalypse is good for. Um, <laughs> I've played in some bad PBTA systems, but um, maybe ones that we'll, like, cover at some point well down the road. But... Um, I do think that, like, these two do kind of show a lot of the strengths of it. And in this case, it is the idea that um, you can take this basic framework and apply it to so many ideas of what a problem and what a solution even are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, the the problem can just as easily be, like, oh, shit, here's a giant rat that is trying to eat us. And also, like oh, the mayor doesn't believe that the villain is real, and so he doesn't want to tell us, like... Or, like, you know, the mayor... You know, the mayor doesn't believe that, like, the bad guy in the lives in the castle and is, like, getting all the skeletons together, so he doesn't want to give us, like, the key to go up to the castle, you know? And, like... Yeah. They're... The structure works kind of equally for both of those conflicts. Yeah, and I, I, I think that there's something that I specifically want to highlight, which is that, like, there's no kind of delineation in terms of the, like, crunch or interestingness of the mechanics based on different solutions. Because, like, what you're describing about, like, well, some problems are a giant rat that you gotta fight, and some problems are a mayor that you have to convince. That is also true of, like, classic Dungeons & Dragons. It's just a problem 
there is that like if you have a combat challenge in front of you then great 80 percent of the game's rules are devoted to this yeah 40 percent of the game's rules are devoted to the list of spells that your wizard can throw at this um whereas if which again i'll say which again i'll say every time it comes up fucking stupid I can't Fucking stand stupid. Dungeons and Dragons and its list of Hideous, stupid little spells. Awful. We hate it. Um, but, like, if you want to have a challenge that is about, like, convincing the mayor, it's like, great. Do you like rolling a single d20 and adding a bonus to it? Do you like rolling a couple d20s in succession and adding a couple bonuses to them? That's just really what it boils down to, right? Like, anything as far as, you know, complexity or ingenuity... Um, just kind of falls by the wayside and the only options that you have are to make these very simple straightforward roles or to um, just kind of step outside of the mechanical framework entirely and do things based on like just role playing it out just like having a conversation with the dm yeah um which isn't necessarily bad but there is that stark stark difference between how those two mm-hmm. s- situations are handled there is, there is kind of like that tabletop feeling that you get in some games of like, okay, we're technically playing a game, but we're also just acting at each other and have been yeah. doing so for like 50 minutes. We're doing an improv, actually. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, I think that, you know, I, I think that a lot of gaming groups have experienced over decades, you know, the, that D&D problem of like, oh, we made like three rolls during this session because we kind of didn't want to do combat and we just wanted to have like cool conversations with NPCs and whatnot. And I think that like what games like Fellowship and a lot of more recent games are trying to do is to say that like, okay, well, we recognize that a lot of what people come to these games for is this character expression stuff and, you know, not necessarily just having five monsters in front of me that I got to kill. So how can we make the mechanics actually support that? And I think mm. that Fellowship does a very good job at that. Yeah, there's there's a good diversity of moves for different things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there you know there the game kind of like delineates like two different kinds of of conversation you can have with someone into moves, and you know, you roll a different you roll a different move and stat for when you're trying to talk someone to find out information versus when you're trying to talk to someone to like make an emotional connection with them to like ask them something that you need, you know, like, yeah, it, it kind of like separates those out, um, which I think is important for like encouraging that kind of gameplay, you know? And it's also important that it's not just like flattened out into everyone can do everything, right? Like, I know we've been talking about, like, how refreshing and good it is that, like, you know, you're not, like, locked into specific modes of conflict resolution. But there are still the ideas of, like, archetypes and people being useful in different situations. And I think that, like, a very good example of that is one of the basic moves is uh, keep them busy, uh, Mm -hmm. which is about, like, acting as a distraction, buying time, facing a threat that like you yourself have no hope against but that you're still going to be like brave and face down anyway and Mm -hmm. what that does is like grant an advantage to your allies and if they don't have an advantage that they get through either keep them busy or other sources then they can't do that finish them move Mm -hmm. um so it is still this cool thing where like different party members can have different roles they can form a cohesive unit um but it, it kind of does feel like the best of both worlds where you're not locked into a, a specific flow 
but you can also still feel like this is what my character is good at. This is what feels like a moment for my character to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I enjoy that part. Um, yeah, I think it's a strength of the game. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then so I didn't actually read up on character creation on the fellowship side. Um, hmm. I just did that for the overlord side. Um, do you have any yeah. thoughts about like building a character before we get into our specific characters um, when it comes to the fellowship end? Hmm. Um, not really. I feel like character creation was like quite standard. Okay. Um, and you know, and not necessarily in a bad way, but just yeah. like, you know, I picked it up and I was just, I just had to read it once over and be like, yeah, I've done this stuff before. So for I sure. just, you know, made it, made a character. I do think that there's one thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit with the overlord creation, Mm -hmm. um, which is that there are just a lot of fields to fill out. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I understand that like part of it is to offer like narrative prompts and part of it is to allow for like smooth mechanical progression throughout a game, but it ends up being like, okay, as an overlord, I have an agenda, but I also have two master plans, and I have my moves, and I have a weapon, and I have my defenses, and I have a uh, special weakness, and I have stats, which make me kind of invincible until those stats are dealt with. But those are dealing with those stats is separate from bringing my weakness to bear. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of these that kind of, like, feel redundant. And I I know that, like, these are used to kind of give a diversity of challenges and allow for, like, a sense of progression through for the players, right? The players on the Fellowship end to say that, like, okay, we've taken out two of the Overlord stats. Um, and, like, we figured out what their weakness is. Mm-hmm. But it is still this sort of thing where it's, like, I, you know laid out these three stats that I have, um, which aren't the way that, like, you know, uh, the Fellowship has stats of, like, you have plus two blood, plus one courage, etc. It's just, these are absolute things that say that, like, if this stat is not damaged um, by the Fellowship, like, taking a place of power or scoring some other significant victory, then I'm, like, undefeatable in combat. Um, But it's like, well, how is that like fully different from the idea of having a specific weakness like mm-hmm. isn't or having defenses spe- yeah yeah it's it's all just kind of like blurs together a little bit and i kept like kind of going back and forth and being like oh wait should i have put this idea as a defense instead of a stat should i have like put the opposite or the absence of this as a weakness instead and again i get why you want to have something like this um mm-hmm. But it did end up making the whole character creation process feel a little overstuffed for me. Having two master plans felt a little like, why do I need these? Like, what are the two plans that, like, you know, whatever classic villain has? Um, Often it's just like, well, they have one plan. It's to seize the world. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like, I understand that in large part that is a mechanical thing to allow for multiple points of attack and multiple like 
you know, irons in the fire that the the party can address at any given time. Um, but it did lead me to just kind of throughout the process be like, wait, didn't I already answer this? Yeah, it, it seems like, like Fellowship's kind of orientation in general is to try and like give you like a mechanical system to prompt you know something something to do narratively and for the overlord i think it feels like it might there might be a little too much of that yeah i and i i don't want to like criticize it unilaterally because like i do think that a lot of these prompts are valuable um I do think, though, that, like, some level of flexibility in it could be useful unless they're, like, super necessary for the mechanical structure of the game. To say that instead of saying, okay, well, what you need is two weapons and two defenses and two master plans and three stats and all of this, is to say that, like, well, you know, you need to have these very... You need to answer these various prompts. And this is a guideline for, like, how many answers you should have for each of them. Um, but right now, it's the sort of thing where, like, I'm sure that if I played this game a couple times, then I would be able to have a sense of, like, are the two master plans really necessary, or can I just fudge it? But if Mm -hmm. I'm approaching it for the first time, then I kind of just want to go by, like, the rules that have been laid out by the game, and I don't want to, like, risk making things non-operative because I was like, "Eh, I could do with two stats, or... Uh, this weakness thing seems silly and I don't want to do it. Um, but yeah, it's, I do think the prompts are overall good. I do think that they pushed me to define the character in a more fleshed out way and like create like a, a rich set of ways that the character can be like interacted with. So, um, mm-hmm. again, like I think that being a little less prescriptive in that regard and a little more just like these are the things that you're going to want to have if you want to be a unique and memorable threat to the players and the fellowship end um, would be really helpful. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Do we feel like we have anything else that we want to cover off before we get to our characters proper? Hmm. No, I think I think we covered everything. Hell yeah. Alright. Uh, so, so yeah, for... <laughs> Amount of time spent complaining about the uh, specific thing with like the fantasy races. 30 minutes. Amount of time spent talking about all other aspects of Fellowship as a system. 20 minutes. Listen. We did it, guys. The dream. Listen. You you can read the book. You guys can yeah. read the book. You guys can read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can read the book. We're talking about criticism. We're not doing some IGN like graphics, gameplay, sound. <laughs> My favorite of those was that so many of the like guys who did those reviews clearly never thought about sound very much. So it was just no. kind of like the music was good. Yeah, <laughs> I could. The explosions hear. are loud. The guns are cool. What more I, do you need? I could hear. Most of the dialogue, 7 out of 10. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, if you couldn't tell, the way we've decided to do this is, uh, you know, uh, I've created like a member of the Fellowship, kind of like, you know, like a protagonist-y principal character, and Hannah has created an overlord. That's right. And because we're nerds, I guess our general, like, (laughs) 
I guess our like genesis of an idea, right? Is that like these are characters from the first fantasy story in this world who are now in like these are characters from the first Gundam of their world, and now it's Zeta mm-hmm. Gundam, and they're gonna kill each other. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um that that basically like there was a previous fellowship that they were both part of, but after it like accomplished its goal, you know, the the world progressed in whatever way it progressed to end up with the two being on opposite sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you kind of came up with the kind of like, you know, the like idea of this world. And also your character is kind of like central to the cosmology of it. Uh, do you want to go through yours first and then we do mine? Yeah, we could absolutely do that. Um, so the, the, central idea to the world that olivia just mentioned um is basically that this is like a kind of post-apocalyptic fantasy world um not in like a mad max or a fallout sense but like in the first mad max you know did you ever see the first mad max yeah yeah where like shit is like just in the process of going down and they're like shit shit is going bad shit is going bad but like max's wife works at a diner (laughs) yeah (laughs) the dark max is like and max is like a cop you know like they have they have recognizable normal people jobs but also like it's going to shit you know yeah max is a cop but like there seem to be seven cops in this entire state that's right um so yeah like the idea is that um you know a generation or two ago there was this war that was being waged against um uh, like a an evil empire of some sort uh we're not going into a whole lot of detail about this because you know there's a limit to how much we want to flesh things out for this podcast mm-hmm. we don't um, actually want to write the first gundam no no we are we are not writing books here um but yeah so there was a, a war against that empire and um you know uh the great shining hero uh fulfilled a prophecy led an army against the evil emperor, uh, but the emperor had one final gift for the world, uh, which was basically to kind of ravage the world to the point where it would need to be kind of fundamentally healed and reset almost uh, to be like fully livable again. And there is a process for this in this world, which is that there are angelic guardians who like, tend to show up in these like hours of crisis and like set things right and like nudge um, the conditions along to uh, ones where like people can learn to like live and regrow and rebuild again. Um, But for whatever reason, uh, you know, well, I guess a specific reason is like the curse that the emperor laid out. um, The angels can't recognize that a calamity has happened. Um, and they are not performing their duty of resetting the world. Um, so what we just end up with is a very cold world, very weak sun, slowly dying, huddling around a few remaining points of light and warmth that are maintained by those angels. Um, and there have definitely been people who are like, you know, going up to various angels and like pleading for them to like set things right. Um, and those go unanswered not out of like you know a sense of like cruelty or judgment but because they genuinely like don't seem to be able to comprehend that um like something has happened that requires such intervention um so uh 
what we have is a situation where like unless someone rises up and kind of like defies this last order the angels are just gonna like shepherd the remaining people into like managed care at the end of the lifespan of you know the peoples of this world um they're just gonna say like come along come into our like sanctuaries it's warmer here it's brighter here and you'll be able to kind of like live out these last generations with like a measure of like peace and comfort um Mm. and then you know eventually there won't be anyone left um my character then is the head angel um named i have a bunch of names in a name field here it says here name the grand seraph or canto 36 or dreaming silver or in dreaming silver shall we rest with gleaming boughs upon our brows and sleeping sacred lie the blessed and keeping still the mortal will damn right <laughs> sometimes you just want to write an entire coheed verse as the name of your character uh-huh um <laughs> let's come back to that <laughs> let's go back yeah, to that notion put a pin in that for now uh, um yeah look what is this podcast for if not to be on our bullshit it's to be on our bullshit i i've i've had like pretty kind of straightforward names for my character so far it's like okay We've got Harrow, we've got Ivy, we've got Ash, you know, nothing too fancy there. Um, I just kind of wanted to write, like, you know, a, a ridiculous, like, I guess the idea is that uh, the the names of the angels in this setting are, like, taken from this, like, sacred poem or song. Um, and that, you know, there's a limited number of them, and each of them are named after a line from the song. Mm-hmm. What is the... What's, like, the... <laughs> I've already forgotten most of the names. What is the shorthand <laughs> name? Like, if we're just gonna be like, uh, Dreaming Silver. Dreaming Silver. Got it. Yeah. Dreaming Silver. That's right. What is Dreaming uh, dream- Silver? Mm-hmm. What's up? No, you go. Okay. Yeah, Dreaming Silver uh, uses it, its pronouns. Uh, appearance. <laughs> I've got here an eight-foot-tall feminine figure in uh, whites and pale blues a low-hanging halo and three pairs of softly glowing wings whose lines give the visual impression of boughs of leaves Mm -hmm. uh it holds a silver spear in one hand and a lantern in the other and the lantern uh gives off a warm light that people are drawn towards and find very comforting uh in a way that washes away other feelings um so who is dreaming silver besides a big spooky angel well Um, I think a good way to kind of like go through this honestly would be to just kind of talk about the mechanics because the mechanics for an overlord are super, super narrative, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, do we, wait, do we want to do, do we want to do kind of similar to the Eidolon episode where it's like, you've given your kind of like basic pitch, I give my basic pitch. That's a great idea. Okay. So long story short, head angel overseeing this process of managed decline being like, hey, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to reset the world. We're just going to kind of let it peacefully die. <laughs> and in stark opposition to that is your character. Stark opposition to that is my character. Um, who kind of similarly does not have like a, re- a human name anymore. Um, but is just basically sort of known by a title, uh, which is the Inheritor Hadean. Um, 
I uh, Hannah wrote a coheed lyric, uh, lyric uh, or coheed <laughs> verse. I just apparently came to a coheed song, um, <laughs> and is now yeah. But the idea, the idea for yo the, the chorus of Inheritor Hadean really fucking begs. But why are all the lyrics about killing women? <laughs> well, because the <laughs> no, um, actually the inheritor Hadean uses uh, they them pronouns. Um, gotcha. But my idea for them was uh, basically the idea that Hadean is the squire of the previous game, who has now become kind of like <laughs> arguably the villain of this game. Mm-hmm. And my idea for this is that like you know first you know. First game, kind of like, you know, human squire Hedean uh, was like, you know, like the archetypical squire, like fresh faced, um, you know, kind of baby faced, probably like a kid sibling, if not literally, but like sort of like that to the heir of the previous game was just yeah. kind of like tagging along, being the heart, making friends with everyone and like keeping everyone on the on the straight and narrow. Um, and then they got to the final overlord battle and they fucking died. <laughs> Oh, no like run through with a sword uh got like a got like a you know got like a funeral scene at the end of the story kind of dead you know mm-hmm. and it was like you know um in my head it's like they didn't realize kind of like that the previous overlord had screwed everything up until later so it was kind of like uh their funeral was like damn we beat the overlord but like there's still sacrifices and we lost like, yeah. you know, we lost the youngest of us. Isn't that, isn't that tragic? Um, and then the world started dying and then the inheritor Hedean came back and started killing angels, ripping their hearts out and <laughs> yes. incorporating, uh, incorporating said hearts into themselves. And so you've described the world as sort of like everyone huddling around these like fading points of light and basically the idea is that the inheritor Hadean is kind of going to these different settlements, murdering the angels that run them, conscripting everyone into their god-killing army, and kind of, like, uh, becoming a stronger and stronger light as they kind of lead, you know, lead the last surviving people across the world to uh, kill all of the angels, assume ultimate power, and then end the world and create a new one. Yeah. Uh, why are they alive rules. again? I didn't answer that question. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> did, they, so did they get the inheritor title when they came back? Yes. Um, okay. Basically, my idea... Yeah. And they they got the whole title, like, the inheritor Hadean, basically. Um, okay. My idea is that, you know, they had... I, would, like, I'd, like, called them Hadean a few times, uh, but that's not, like, a name. That's just sort of, like, gotcha. a thing people started saying. Um... I think the, like, idea is that, like, you know, people hear about this, you know, one of the old fellowship would hear about this, like, inheritor Hadean and then go to them and be like, oh, that's fucking Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Hold on. Like, that's that's the twist of, like, midway through the book is like, oh, that's a recognizable character that you thought was dead. Um, Whose funeral you saw, you know, who got, like, a Star Wars burial pyre funeral. Um... Yeah. Oh, that rules. Um, yeah, and so that's kind of like what they are up to is just like you know, they they are kind of back. Um, they're older than they were when they died. Um, they are wearing kind of like an all black 
mostly black suit of armor with like a kind of gold trim. Um, Mm -hmm. and my idea is that the armor, you know, kind of like no crest, no cape, like not really, the only ornamentation is this kind of gold, but it kind of like impossibly reflects light at certain points. Like it is a, it is a sort of like mystically strange, um, suit of armor that they wear, um, with no helmet. It's just kind of like face out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and they have this like... Very, you know, very, like, military, kind of, like, you know, very, kind of, like, close, you know, like, close, cropped black hair, like, a very serious face um, most of the time. But they have this charisma, you know, like, they are able to, you know, they have this vision, basically, um, of just, like, you know, we have to, you know, we are dying either way, and what we can do here is, you know... Um, take this power from the angels who won't use it and we can leave something behind for all of us and that they are able to kind of like articulate that in a way that is compelling to people and so i see you know they have this army but it's it's people who most of them like really believe in this like this is our last dish you know they think they're saving the world by doing this yeah Um, so like the cause basically is to like steal the power from the angels by killing them and then like use that power in the ways that the angels refuse to Mm -hmm. yeah and it's very much like we are we're doing what's right because nobody else will the people who are like supposed to use this power won't use it so we're going to use it then because the alternative is just like you know nothingness and yeah this fucking rules (laughs) and i think that it like it brushes up against the way that my character thinks and the way that it feels um like in ways that are going to be interesting to discuss i feel like (laughs) i think one last thing i want to like say about indian is they sort of have like this kind of like conflicting like dual mode thing where like sometimes they are like this kind of like force of nature general that's like marching across the you know the the land kind of like leading this huge army um and also sometimes they are just kind of like the kid the kid sibling who fucking died you know like yeah they can they can talk to people and like be kind of like charming like a little goofy um they're not actually that good at fighting is the thing like okay they i'm just you know to take a peek into the stats like uh the inheritor hadean has minus one blood like not actually that good in a fight but like yeah can kind of just like make things happen in a way that's like hold on when we sparred you were kind of bad at this but uh when you fought an angel like you you managed to fight an angel one-on-one for like 10 minutes until like we could finish the spell that would kill it you know right Um, so just this sort of like contradiction or like contrast between like somebody who can be this very like force of nature general and also still kind of like a goofy goofy kid sibling at times and i think it's a very compelling mix for the people who follow them you know i think like they walk around the army camp and people are like you know come eat with us come sit with us like hang out you know and they can be personable like that yeah that's really cool yeah, so let's talk um, about some Overlord shit. Yeah, let's talk about Dreaming Silver. Um, so, okay. Uh, one of the main things that an Overlord has mechanically is an agenda. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's three to choose from in the book, and these are all like very archetypal. There's like unlimited power, the world is mine, and watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like you know very very broad ideas that can be interpreted in different ways. So what I've got here is the world is mine, um, but not in the sense of like traditional imperial power, um, but rather like we mentioned, trying to gather the last remnants of the mortal peoples and usher them into a state of palliative care from which they will never return. Um, And yeah, like what this basically represents is that this agenda is all about like spreading influence and making it seem like the world is on the brink. So what that would like kind of be represented by is the idea that more and more communities are kind of like giving in to this despair and saying like there's no point in fighting this we just got to like sign on with the angels and live out for another generation or two or however long we can hold out Mm -hmm. um and more and more people like kind of becoming hostile to the idea of like hadean's cause and and their rebellion to to say that like no 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 you're going to mess everything up you're going to take away like the only source of warmth we have left in this world what are you doing Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it, it is a situation where, like, there is going to be a lot of hostility towards the fellowship in this setting. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have an army type, which I think that the options there are a scourge, an organization, titans, and then, oh my goodness, what's the last one? Scourge, organization, titans. Okay, I'm looking at the playbook right now. Uh... Here we go. It's the Horde, the Organization, the Scourge, and the Titans. So it's like Horde, you know, just endless waves. Scourge is kind of similar to the Horde, but more about like corruption, like spreading blights or, you know, like... uh, a zombie horde could technically be a horde, but, you know, if it's focused on the idea that they, like, infect people and add to their ranks, then it's more of a scourge. The organization is kind of like an evil mirror fellowship, and then the titans are, like, there are only a few people that are in this army, um, but they are all, like, huge and powerful. Um, So we've got titans here. Um, There are only, like, 30-something angels left, uh, you know, from the 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 ones that um, Hadean killed and also the ones that died off in the war against the last empire. Um, but each one is still, like, an army unto themselves, effectively, and a sort of situation where if you see one and it wants to attack you, unless you are extremely well-prepared, you just run. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah... Uh, what we have here then are my overlord stats, uh, which again, these are just like binary things that are either, uh, on their damage, which means that they're like disabled until the overlord can like achieve a plan or reach a milestone to restore them, or they've been permanently removed by like a special action from the players. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I have are, uh, peerless general, um, uh, Dreaming Silver was, like, originally kind of a, like, a shepherd angel, like, a, um, an angel of death, but in a way that is about, like, kind of making death be this thing that you don't need to be afraid of, that, like, is soothing, that is warm, that kind of 
uh, feels like a release rather than like something to dread. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that last war, when the first fellowship happened, um, it basically like kind of had to turn from a shepherd into a general. Um, and that was like symbolized by like, it used to kind of, its lantern used to be kind of resting on a pole. Um, so it would almost be like, you know, a, a shepherd's crook. Uh, mm-hmm. But it broke the lantern off of the pole and replaced it with a spearhead instead. Um, and it has never known defeat in battle and does not intend to start anytime soon. Um, there's also Sacred Icon, which basically just means that, like, the thought of opposing this thing feels extremely blasphemous. And even people who aren't, like, you know, die hard against you are going to look at the idea of opposing Dreaming Silver and be like, are, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> um, is that allowed <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> oh my god um and then the last one is unbound in time which is that as a seraph the most powerful kind of angel uh dreaming silver exists in every moment across time and killing it here will only cause an earlier instantiation of itself to catch up with it soon enough the old empire had rituals to sever this universality but they've all been wiped out Unless, uh, so obviously that's the sort of thing where it's like seeding the idea that the fellowship would go on a quest to like figure out a way to sever this idea of being unbound in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, recover some base- ancient, recover some ancient imperial rituals for like destroying the powers of the guardians of the earth. You know, like the good guys do. <laughs> like the good guys do. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because, like, oh, he- here's the thing, because um, I kind of want to get to the turn now about, like, what Jamie Silver is like as a person. I think I've, like, talked a lot about, like, its role in this story and, like, its capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, like, you know, some cool moves here as well, like the spear, the lantern. Um, uh, but the one of the things that you are, like, instructed to do for an overlord is to come up with, like, a secret reason for doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, like is very key to the way that Dreaming Silver operates because um, while it gives off the impression um, at all times, like in public, of being like very cold and inhuman and graceful and poised and like, you know, this just perfect aloof being, um, it's actually like hurting really bad. Uh, Like it's seen cycle after cycle of the mortal peoples destroying each other or themselves and the fact that, like, it exists as this leader of a failsafe force to say that, like, no matter how bad you guys fuck it up, we will be there to kind of, like, reset things and shepherd you. Like, it's been doing that job for a long, long time, and it doesn't know how much longer it can do it. Um, so in a way, like, this idea of having that curse placed on it by the that last emperor was almost like a huge relief for dreaming silver to say that like oh thank goodness like i've seen these poor people like you know destroy themselves over and over again and it breaks my heart every time and i don't know how many more of those i can go through um so like if this is an opportunity for everything to just kind of go gently into the night um like then that's great I've been looking for that for the longest time because, you know, I show up at people's deaths and I 
uh, kind of like help soothe them and make this not a terrifying process for them. But that idea of like the terror, like it kind of just goes into me instead. Mm-hmm. So like I'm this this like ancient safety mechanism that has been around for the longest time and was not really intended to like have feelings about any of this stuff, but that has just decided that like I I can't do this anymore. Um, and there might be a way for me to break free from this curse, but I don't want to. I'm not going to pursue it, and I would just like for all of this to be over. Dreaming um, Silver's phone buzzes, and it's a text from the inheritor <laughs> Indian that just says, "I lived, bitch." <laughs> yes, and I think that like that's that's what I was thinking of, right? Um, because I'm wondering like what that moment of like confrontation and realization is, because. I think that, you know, it's been many times over many generations in many contexts um, for Dreaming Silver to, like, meet these wonderful people and then see them die and then, you know, kind of have to pick up the pieces and rebuild things for other people that are going to fuck it up and die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, like, uh, you know, Jeffrey or whoever the Inheritor Hidian was <laughs> beforehand, not the real name, but mm-hmm. just the placeholder we seem to be using... Mm -hmm. Um, like, I think that that was kind of the latest in that long line of that. And one that just like made it say to itself, like, well, you know, again, how many more of these can I take? Mm -hmm. And then to be confronted with the idea of like, oh, after I had already started this plan of like sunsetting the earth, um, I get a, I lived bitch text (laughs) from the person that I had been most recently mourning. Yeah. I think that would really fuck Dreaming Silver up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, the thing is that, like, you know, Hadean, like, has basically, like, the most horrible empathy about it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. kind of, they used to be the Squire. Their destiny playbook is, yeah. like, the Warlord now. Um, But they still have a lot of that, like, Squire stuff, which was about, like, making bonds with people. And then, kind of, kind of uh kind of horrifically leveraging those bonds to like force people to do things is kind of a thing that the squire can do um, oh man so, like yeah so i imagine basically it's it's like but it's like a thing where like you know they were close in the kind of first fellowship you know dreaming silver was this like the literal guardian of the world that everyone was kind of like oh a god is here um yeah but then the human hadean was just like hey bud like how's it going yeah like and, and i i think that it was like a a real mutual closeness and i think that like everyone else would kind of just like look at the pre-hadean hadean and just be like how the fuck do you do that like <laughs> when i try to talk to this thing it just gives me like these you know lyrical prophecies of you know salvation and doom and recurrence and whatnot but, like, it talks to you like a person. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, like, kind of the image that I have, basically, is, you know, I've talked about this kind of, like, dual mode thing going back and forth. And basically the image that I have is, like, you know, Hadean and, and Dreaming Silver kind of, like, you know, having their, you know, their meeting. And Hadean being kind of in, like, the warlord mode and, like you know, big, big, ornate flaming sword, weird armor, and then just sort of, like, they lock eyes, and then they switch back to, you know, Hadean switches back to, like, normal human mode, and is just kind of, like, 
you know, in the worst way, like, hello, old friend. Like, I've come back to relieve you of your burdens. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, in the worst way. (laughs) Just like, I've come to help you. Um, Um, Like, if you, and I think that's kind of like, you know, I think Hadean knows that, like, Dreaming Silver does not want to be this thing anymore. And kind of the thing they decided to do is to become that thing for their friend who, like, can't do that anymore. And I have this idea that, like, you know, there's, like, a legend in this world that, like, either the moon or the sun, like, I want to say the sun, you know, that the moon used to be the sun. And then it got, like, very old and could no longer be the sun anymore. So there was some sort of, like, terrestrial creature who ascended to the heavens and became the sun to, like, take the moon's burden, you know? And that allowed the moon to, like, continue to be in the sky without burning out. Um, Oh, wow. And they are, you know, they're redoing that now at the end of the world. I think that's, like, that's how Hadean sees it, you know? Oh, wow. Um, I, I love that, (laughs) especially because do you want to hear about like the last big mechanical piece of this character? Oh, always. Okay. So you are also as an overlord expected to have at least one general. You start with one and Mm -hmm. you like kind of write up a mini character for them as well. Uh, When I got to that part, I was like, Hey, (laughs) I got tricked into making two characters. (laughs) Um, but the general here is called the Empty Canto. Um, and, you know, angels are, like, anywhere from 7 to 12 feet tall. Um, Dreaming Silver is on the shorter end at a mere 8 feet. Uh, the Empty Canto is, like, fully 12 feet. Um, and is absolutely, absolutely massive. Absolutely a titan. Um, just a huge, like, you know, wheels like a huge earth-shattering staff. Um and is just, like, extremely difficult to deal with in any way that's remotely permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, so we've got, like, this 12-foot faceless armored colossus, right? The only way to really identify it as, as an angel is because, like, it has a single pair of, like, drooping withered wings. And there's a legend that, like, this used to be uh, Dreaming Silver's dearest friend and most trusted lieutenant among the angels... Um, until it betrayed the Grand Seraph and was sealed into this silent form as an eternal penance. Oh, no. Uh, The first part of that is true. Mm -hmm. But what actually happened is that um, the friend basically broke earlier than Dreaming Silver did and said that, like, my eons of service has worn me to the bone. I need to be put out of this. And the only way that Dreaming Silver could do that is to basically, like, take its will, take its soul, um, remove the sacred canto from, like, you know, its its essence, and just turn it into this uh, eternal, terrible machine of war and duty. Um, and so I think that that idea of, like, having to mercy kill your friend is something that, like, Dreaming Silver has already been through on that one end. And it's now kind of realizing it, like, oh... Is that about to happen to me? Is it time for that to happen to me? And I think the thing with Hadean is Hadean's like, no, idiot! Like, I'm going, to, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to like take your power and I'm going to use it, and then we're gonna like live together in the new world, which is gonna be good, you know? Like, 
is a fundamental optimism to them. Um, yeah. Maybe it's kind of a deranged optimism of, like, <laughs> you know, telling the millennia-old, like, world failsafe of, like, no, 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 but this time, but this time, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna handle it. <laughs> I'll handle oh, it. Oh, man. <laughs> um, you know? It's, it's just basically, like, the opposite of rip to you. Uh, but the second half of the sentence is still, but I'm different. But I'm different. But like, that's... It's like, you will live on, but I'm different. <laughs> I'm different. Look, I'll handle it. Yeah. How are you going to handle it? I'm going to step in. <laughs> if if I were to face uh, an endless service uh, repairing the broken world over and over again, I would simply not develop crushing despair over it. I'll, I'll handle it. <laughs> God, they never have. Oh, to, I love this. I never have to reset. You never. They never have to reset the world twice in the stories. They reset it once, and then the story ends. Oh no! Um, oh no! But I think that's the thing about you know mortality, right? Like, yeah, you're unburdened by the weight of everything that came before you, and you kind of like you look toward the future, right? Um, yeah, and that's what's beautiful about about them. Yeah, and I, I like the idea that, like, like I said, um, Dreaming Silver, like, as the most powerful angel, like, exists in every moment across time, mm-hmm. and has, like, basically seen that, like, oh, that ends very shortly. And what it assumes is that, like, okay, well, you know, the rest of the world is going to burn out, Ooh. and there's going to be no need for me. But I like the idea that, like, what it could actually mean as well is that, like, no, I just can't see past this point because that's when Hadean takes this, like, angelic essence and this eternal duty of fixing the world from me. And I get to just exist as a person who isn't, like, burdened with having to fix everything constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too. We don't know. We're not playing this game. We don't know how this all turns out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy. I guess I have one thing. So it's like, if if Hadean's thing is like, I can... Okay, so how do you envision, like... Do you envision the other angels as having, like, a personhood that is comparable to Dreaming Silver's? Like, because Dreaming Silver has, like, feelings. But you also said that Dreaming yeah. Silver was not supposed to have feelings. So, like, are the other angels, like, full beings, you know? Um... I think that it's, I think that it's, like, kind of complicated to say. I think that they're inhuman. Um, I think that Dreaming Silver is probably one of the most human ones because, like, its whole purpose throughout, like, existence uh, outside of these, like, moments of direct crisis has been to kind of just, like, shepherd people through their last moments. And, like, you can learn a lot about people through that, right? And you can learn a lot about, like, what actually comforts them instead of just, like, washing over, um you know, with, like, a, a wave of, like, divine warmth that just says, like, no, 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 it's okay, don't worry, your will is being overwritten by an angel right now. Um, but I think that, like, from Dreaming Silver's perspective, like, they're all people. Mm-hmm. It's just that, like, you know, I it, it's a sort of situation where, like, uh, in, in one of the lighter moments of this, one can imagine, like, Dreaming Silver just saying that, like, oh, yeah, that's Canto 32, it's a real cut-up, um, and it's, like, it cuts to Canto 32, who has only been, like, this completely stone-faced warrior this whole time. <laughs> um, 
And it's like, to Jamie Silver, that sentence makes complete sense, but it might never necessarily be apparent to anyone else who isn't an angel and doesn't have, like, their way of, uh, you know, wrapping their heads around all of this. Can I propose something, like, kind of abstract, but just, like, a pitch of something? Yeah, let's do it. Did you ever play the original Assassin's Creed? I did not. Um... I mean, maybe this is true in the other Assassin's Creed games. I don't know. But in Assassin's Creed, you always killed, like, a target, and then you got to just, like, cradle their head as they died and did, like, a five-minute monologue in, like, a weird dream space. (laughs) Um, But my idea is basically that, like, you know, whenever, like, the Inheritor Hadean kills an angel, they have this kind of, like, dream space, like, infinite moment where they do, where they are able to, like, make some kind of connection and... Hey, Dean is always like, you don't have to die here. Like, you can come with me. And I think for their various reasons, all of them before Dreaming Silver say no. Yeah. Like, no, I'm I'm out of here, actually. And so it's like, unclear is like, can anybody say yes? Like, is that possible? Can you be an angel, lose your angel power, and then still exist as as a being? You know, um... They kind of have not tried it yet. Nobody has, like, you know, everyone said, no, nah, I'm out. Peace. I'm done. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that idea, though, that, like, there are these, you know, all-powerful, inscrutable beings that, like, when you finally manage to defeat them in this, like, grand overwhelming thing, like, you give them this opportunity for, for like, mercy and continuing their existence and every single one just says like no fuck this i'm out i'm dead thanks for killing me peace i'm I'm gonna keep it real with you the inheritor (laughs) hadean but like yeah i and i think they kind of like you know depending on how abstract we want to keep this maybe it isn't like a real converse you know a literal conversation but they kind of have their Mm -hmm. own reasons you know and i think they kind of like yeah. That's their kind of, like, moment of most, like, understanding. You know, some of them are like, no, I just, I really can't take this anymore. Some of them are like, no, fuck you, you killed me. Like, um, yeah. some of them are like, I actually want to see, like, what lies beyond, like, being an angel. You know, I don't want to be in this world anymore. I want to see, like, what's beyond this world. And so they kind of all have their various reasons why, you know, why they don't go. Or why they don't stay, rather. Mm-hmm. But they all have the same decision. Yeah, I really like that idea. Um, do we want to talk about Hadean's mechanics? I do. I do. Oh, yeah. Um, so Hadean, I kind of like built them as like a level seven character just for like, because I, sure. I wanted to have some squire moves and like less, but still like enough warlord moves to like have an identity around that. Um, as a player, Dean has, you know, four agendas, which are kind of, like, supposed to, you know, kind of similar to the Overlord agendas, like, guide their actions. Um, their agendas are be brave, take risks. Uh, number two, tell us of your people, um, which we kind of discussed earlier. As, like, a squire and then a warlord, like, Hadean's people are, like, the people they have bonds with. Um, which is another mechanic that will will come up pretty soon. Uh, agenda number three, improve the world around you. Very funny. <laughs> Very funny agenda to have. Um, and then the fourth yeah. the fourth agenda is they need me. Um, the oh, fine text of which is don't let them go ahead with poor decisions. Oh, man. 
yeah, I picked the saddest fucking one. Uh, so Hedean stats, as I said earlier, uh, blood minus one. Um, actually not that good with a sword. We're kind of never that good with a sword. And I think the yeah. way they died is like, one-on-one overlord combat got run through. <laughs> because they were not good, you know, not really a fighter. Wanted to be a yeah. fighter. Never really got it. Um, but courage plus one, grace plus one, and then sense plus two, and wisdom plus two as well. So, like, a talker and a, like, speaker and, like, somebody who relates to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, B- because it's the sort of system where, like, the this primary stats mean specific things that aren't inherently intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to just, like, quickly go over, like, what is the difference between grace and sense and wisdom? Yeah, let me get the stats real quick. Because, like, blood, that one's obvious. That is your direct combat ability. Courage is... Let me just read them, because they all have a Yeah, sure, let's go for it. Uh, So, under the stats page, blood says, Your boiling veins, your burning passion, your bloodline, your burning need to protect your friends and family. Blood means power, ferocity, loyalty, rage, and passion. Blood is used for feats of physical strength, combat prowess, and your capacity to protect yourself and others. Uh, courage is your inner strength, your force of will, your tenacity, your brilliant shining soul. Courage determines your ability to stand proud, face death in the eye, and keep on trucking no matter how bad things get. Courage is used to stand up for what matters and inspire others to your cause. Grace is your style, your talent, your artistry, your beauty. Grace is all about looking good, being cool, and acting with skill and agility. Grace is used to perform spectacular acts, trick others, avoid danger, and show off. Sense is your wits, your etiquette, your logical ability, your eyes and ears. Sense is about keeping track of the world around you, analyzing it in a logical and sensible manner, and working from a well-reasoned perspective. Uh, Sense is used to discern the realities all around you, keeping you informed in all situations. And then the final stat is wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is your knowledge, your experience, your cultural relations, your tact, and your kindness. Wisdom is all about doing the right thing, at the right time, in the right way, and knowing you did good, kid. Wisdom is used to make friends, tell us what's what, and get what you want without being rude about it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stats. Uh, so, moves. Uh, the Inheritor Hedeans moves. Uh, from, you know, their kind of, like, first level squire move, uh, they have the move Keep Them Safe, which is when you are with someone uh, you have a bond with, and they would take harm, you can take that harm in their place. Uh, they also have the move Fast Friends, which is when you spend a scene with someone or speak softly to them, which is a basic move, uh, you may gain a bond immediately. You can have an unlimited number of bonds, uh, but people you have bonds with don't become companions. And we kind of wave wave that rule later when they become a warlord. Uh, but kind of one of the unique aspects of the squire is that they don't have a people attached and they can command lore, you know, kind of like be kind of an authority on facts about anyone they have a bond with who is not a player character. So, like, the squire has this, like, my people are my friends, basically. Um, Yeah. And just to kind of talk about bonds real quickly, because that's another mechanic, but bonds are basically, like, a mechanical representation of your relationships with someone. 
Um, they are, you know, anywhere from like, I think one to three sentences that describe your relationship with someone. Um, and there are certain, you know, there are certain like, there are certain like circumstances in which you could like add to a bond to strengthen it or reduce it either as like a consequence of something or spending it to do something. Um, so yeah, that is, that is kind of like what bonds are. And there's going to be more Bond stuff in Hedian's other moves. Uh, such as uh, pl- the move Please Just Listen, uh, which says, <laughs> One, when you talk sense with someone, you can erase a bond rather than owe them a favor to get them to do what you want. Um, then it has another part, which is when you speak softly with someone, you can erase a bond to a- make them answer a question they refuse to answer. Uh, this is where the squire can get a little scary. You know, this idea of, like, <laughs> I can I can harm parts, I can form these, like, fast and, like, strong relationships with people and then, like, destroy them for, for my own gain, which is yeah. kind of freaky, kind of a freakish thing to do. Buddy, why are you doing that? Uh, maybe, maybe why I chose to kind of make this character into, like, this kind of unexplained, possibly eldritch force. Um... They also have the move, It's Dangerous to Go Alone, which says when you watch someone's back, you can roll to overcome any harm against them uh, with sense. Uh, The Power of Friendship, which says your bonds have the precious and useful tag, and you can use them by erasing them. Sick. Uh, They also have Voice of Reason, which I, I love this move. It says when you offer advice to another player and they ignore it, you have hope during any of your attempts to bail them out of the resulting mess. Um, and hope is kind of like you roll, when you roll, instead of rolling two dice, you roll three dice and take the two highest. Um, and I really like that as a move. <laughs> Just that concept. Um, Absolutely. There's also a concept in Fellowship called shared moves, where under certain circumstances you can take moves from other playbooks. Um, the Squire being one of those circumstances, they can just take another playbook's move. Um, and so they took the, they took the move Earth Friend from the dwarf, which says you can speak softly to the earth and use one of your questions to ask it to move for you. That rules. Um, which does rule. And to me, the way I think about this is like, as Hidean kind of like absorbs more, you know, uh, power of the angels, they can kind of command the earth, you know, like they are getting this kind of like divine power over things. And so they can just yeah. kind of, like, speak to the earth. Um, uh, another move is I Won't Let You Down, uh, which says when you keep when you keep them busy and get, uh, you know, a 7 to 9 result, you can erase a bond to take plus 10 instead, uh, th- with the stipulation that you have to erase a bond with either someone you are protecting or someone who is helping your distraction. Uh, and now we're getting into the warlord moves. Uh, so the first one is the warrior's path, which says when you try to overcome the harm a group, gang, or army would deal to you, you always take the plus 10 result. Um, I really like the warlord as a playbook because it has so much just like, no. Like, yeah, you. Can, I don't have to deal with this shit right you now. You fight a whole army and you can do that. <laughs> like, that rules. regardless. Um, Maybe their most important warlord move is the Fellowship's armies, 
uh, which basically just says, like, you know, you choose a companion from the list of companions, you gain three bonds with them, they have the army stat, uh, they can only be damaged by dangerous or area attacks, uh, they count as being everywhere in the in their location at the same time, so there's always, like, one of them who can help you with something, and they don't need to damage their stats to use their moves. Uh, the way companions usually work is they have, like, a list of stats, and every time they help you, they damage one of their stats. Mm-hmm. And if they damage all of them and lose all their bonds with you, like, they're gone. But the Fellowship's armies, they don't need to do that. They can just help out anytime. <laughs> um, and then their final uh, Warlord move is To the Gates of Hell itself, which says your companions will never erase their last bond with you. So that rules. Once you are in like the Inheritor Hadean's armies, you're there. Like you're there for life. Yeah, that army is not disbanding. So I, I actually, um, like I didn't go through all the Overlord's moves because like a lot of them are pretty standardized, and then um, I didn't give myself as many of uh like the custom ones because a lot of them aren't super interesting. But one of them is destroy trust, which says when you dismiss, mock, or show how weak the bond between two people is, erase those bonds. Um, and I love the idea that, like, you know, one thing that Dreaming Silver can do is just, like, get people to give up on the things that are tying to them to this world still, right? And mm-hmm. get them to just say, like, no, I do just want to, like, you know, wrap myself up in a blanket and lie down and blow myself the fuck up. Um, but... It can't do that fully to someone who's bonded with Inheritor Hadean. Yeah, like, they, no, they're in it. Um, it they, they have clashing divinities at that point, you know? Like, yeah. Um, shit's about to get real. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, like, the war. Well, I'm a big fan of both the Squire and the Warlord, because I think there's just, like, so much interesting and like cool stuff they can do and i think like really cool playbooks i came up with like a character concept that kind of makes like the bond using part of the squire like kind of scary i think in a way that it's written you know like this is this is a character with like a frightening level of charisma with people yeah you know um hearing about how cool the squire and the warlord are is kind of making me feel like the uh the overlord isn't as interesting and I think that, like, part of that is just because, like, you have to have an overlord in the game. And so mm-hmm. a lot of, like, what it does mechanically is just things that are required to make the game flow. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, what you can do with the Squire and the Warlord is really, like, get into these specific ideas of, like, working with bonds, working with, like, you know, mm-hmm. aiding your allies and, and giving them advice and whatnot. And... Like, that just feels really cool, whereas, like, the Overlord is a little more, like, base functional. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of love the idea that, like, they can roll into a town, walk up to walk up to the guy running the town and be like, listen, you gotta help us kill that angel, like, right now. <laughs> and they can be like, fuck you. And then, like, get in trouble because they don't kill the angel. And then, you know, the Inheritor can ride in with their armies and just be like, alright, I got you, though. Like, I got you, though. And then help them out. God, and yeah. then, you know, pull them up and do the, the Common Rider 4's, like, <laughs> fist thing that they do to to forge a bond. Um, and now, like, I've recruited the entire this entire village to be, like, my army. God, incredibly cool. Very, very cool. Uh, do we want to end with some of the questions? Our questions segment. 
Uh, yeah, we could we could go right into the questions. Um, I don't think that either of us have anything else to kind of lay out about the two. I think we've like mm-hmm. kind of laid out what their conflict is like. There's some aspects of like the Overlord character sheet that I haven't gone into in detail, but I think that like you know the the gist has been captured quite well. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we could do the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you want me to go first because I went first for the other stuff. Yeah, sure. Great. Okay, here's my serious question. Uh, when Dreaming Silver fought alongside Hadean, what was the first act of low-key kindness and warmth it performed for Hadean that seemed to go beyond what angels are made to do? Mm. Interesting. Um, what was, like, the first moment that made it clear that, like, oh, this is a friendship. This isn't just, like, this bright-eyed kid, like, talking to an angel as if it's a friend for some reason. This is reciprocated. Mm. So I like the idea that, like, the fellowship, like, you know, went to, you know, like, was, like, forming a camp early on. And it was like, okay, mm-hmm. who's gonna who's gonna take the watch? And then, you know, Human Hadean was like, you know, I'll do it. Guys, 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 I'll do it. Don't worry about it. And they're kind of like, are you sure? Like, are you, are you sure you can <laughs> stay up? Because you look pretty tired, kid. Um, oh, and, you know, they were just like, trust me. Like, tr- trust me, guys. I got this. And so, of course, they, like, start falling asleep. And then, you know, Dreaming Silver comes in with, like, a pot of fantasy coffee. You know? Like, I've gotten you, like, Aww. the drink that gives you energy and, like, keeps you up. Um, and then it's like, it's a very sweet gesture. And then <laughs> uh, yeah, is. Human Hadean is kind of like, wait, do you sleep? <laughs> do you... <laughs> Do we need a watch? I I don't think you sleep. Uh, and Dreaming right. Silver is just kind of like, no, I don't, I don't sleep. Yeah. Uh, not I think Dreaming Silver would ask something weird in response to that, like, would you like me to? <laughs> like, not fully understanding what the question is. Yeah, just like, literally did not occur to it that like, oh, I could just take watch the whole time. And I don't think to anyone else, because, like, who's going to ask God to take a watch? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, I think everyone was just kind of like, uh, okay. Let's try not to give it a reason to kill us. Um, That rules. Yeah. Uh, Should I do one of my questions? Yeah. So with your serious. Yeah, basically, I described this kind of like, you know, the two kind of contradicting modes that they go to through. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there when they came back to life, basically, there was something about their, you know, who they used to be that is just gone now. Uh, what was that? Oh. What is that? Oh, wow. Um, so I want to say that it's like, it's it's something that was like kind of a shared love between um like dreaming silver and um oh no and the, the old Hadean. I I want to here's what, here's what my immediate thought is. It's like the it's like the whole sense of taste and thus the ability to like really appreciate and enjoy food on its own merits. Like oh, no. they can still because like you know one of the main actions in this game is fill your belly, right? So yeah. like communal meals are important, and I think that like. Inheritor Hidean can still enjoy and take part in a communal meal for the communal part, right? Mm-hmm. For the idea that, like, you know, this is a, a symbolic moment of togetherness, of literal breaking bread, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that there is this idea that, you know, like, Dreaming Silver was surprisingly, like, 
into just sharing meals and like being blown away by how delicious certain things were. Yeah. And I think that Dreaming Silver still has that. And when they're both in their modes of like being friends, uh, it tries to like relate to Hidian with that and just can't anymore. Yeah. And Hidian's like, I don't eat by myself anymore. Like, I don't eat for myself. <laughs> oh, man. And I have, like, and I haven't, I haven't since I got stabbed in the stomach and died. <laughs> you know? Oh, like, <laughs> woof. Woof. <sighs> okay. Uh, silly questions now. Lighten the mood a little yeah. bit. Okay, so most of the time, Dreaming Silver is poisoned graceful. But what's the mildly to moderately embarrassing thing that it keeps doing? That the other angels would roast it for if it was in their nature to roast anyone for anything. <laughs> um, okay, this is kind of cliche. This is kind of a, you know, this is kind of cliche, yeah. but I like it. Uh, Hit me with it. We know Dreaming Silver likes to eat. I think it's a terrible yeah. cook. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I think it just will, will fuck up any recipe, like beyond edibility you know just like explosions in the kitchen like anime shit you know oh that's adorable and that's why it's so interested in like trying other foods because it's like i can't make any of this stuff but i love it like it's so good but i can't make it i'll try to make it and it just blows up in front of me you know like food has to be a communal thing for both of them at this point and for jamie silver it's because like it's such a terrible cook on its own. And for Hidean, it's because, like, there's no purpose to it necessarily unless it is, like, a communal act of, like, you know, bonding and rapport building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that rules. That rules. It's very, it's also sad as hell. <laughs> I love these two. Uh, They're such fucking idiots. <laughs> oh, it sucks that the end of the world is being decided by these two fuck ups. <laughs> Um, my silly question is, in the, like, real-world AU, like, pre-Eldritch Resurrection, Hadean was the main character on Twitter for one day. What was the dumbass take that got them there? Wait, hold up, can you please repeat that? So, in the, like, real-world AU version of this, like, human- Modern-world AU. Yeah, human Hadean was the main character on Twitter for one day for posting some dumb shit. Like, what was the dumb thing? What was the dumb thing they posted that got them there? I think it was like some kind of mental health discourse thing that like (laughs) was well intentioned on their part, but that like everyone read it and was just like, "Are you just like endorsing just like rounding up your friends who aren't feeling well and like shipping them off to some kind of special camp?" Um. Like, I, not necessarily that exactly, but yeah. I think it was, One of you know, those things that in- I think, like, you see these mental health things a lot. One of them that's like, yeah. well, there are certain, like, there are certain people for whom that could work. That's not a general mental health tip. In fact, you could really fuck something up, you know, by, like, yeah. applying that as a rule. Um, and then I think they like, got flamed until somebody was like, hey, this is a 14-year-old. and then everyone's like ooh, ooh, we just we just like the 14 year old i think it does tie into like their whole bond thing where it's like you know you can kind of force behavior some people Mm -hmm. so i think that it's this sort of thing where it's like if your friend is feeling sad that doesn't matter you could just make them happy by like you know doing xyz (laughs) and people are just like what the fuck no you can't 
And he is just like, you can't, I can, we are different. <laughs> I'm fundamentally different. <laughs> oh, Lord. oh, I love these two. I also think that, like, in the show that these two are, like, you know, the 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 deuteragonists of, um, there is kind of, like, a uh, comedy, like, like a, a, a comedy shorts that are, like, released alongside it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... It's in the format of a cooking show that the two of them host. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then, like, they, in the, like, second version of this, they do one episode of the cooking show, and it's a huge tearjerker bummer. Just like... <laughs> yeah. That's where you find out that Hidean doesn't eat anymore. Oh, man. It's just like everyone's like whenever whenever someone tells you to watch the anime it's like and you've got to watch the cooking show parts yes yes yeah it's going to pay off in the second season and you will cry but you have to watch the stupid ass <laughs> yeah. cooking show segments oh my god that's amazing <laughs> i love how every time we've tried to make like a very sweet and goofy joke about this it's like looped back around instantly to something crushing yeah that's the that's the oh mood. well that's the mood these days that's the mood with these guys. Um, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I think that about does it for these two. Yeah. Oh. I love them. I love Hideon and Dreaming Silver. Oh, I, I end every episode so sad. Even the ones where where the apocalypse is not like a central defining feature. Yeah. But, oof. <laughs> oof. Oh. Uh, All right. Let's take it to the outro. Yeah. Uh, where- hey, Olivia. Yeah? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, where can we find you online? Oh, jeez. Uh, you can find me online on Twitter, uh, which is the main social media I use, at Great Grebe, uh, which is a type of bird, yes, uh, even though my display name is the big dog that makes all the rules. Um, big dog can be a type of bird. No, I can't. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. Um, yeah. Um, Literally, that's what you are. <laughs> uh on the in, in, on the pin tweet on that account you can find all my other podcasts uh such as we are the champions which is a league of legends lore podcast to do with my girlfriend nora uh such as novel not new which is a uh kind of monthly book club podcast about visual novels and like narrative games in general uh which are good times check those out listen to my podcasts and where can they listen find to you? olivia's podcast uh, people can find me on Twitter at Hannah Yolo, H-A-N-N-A-H-Y-O-L-E-A-U. Hmm. Um, this is the only podcast that I do right now, although that might change soon. Stay tuned. Hmm. Big things might be popping. But, um, <laughs> Something yeah, big coming I soon. Most- <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what I'm going to do is for the next eight episodes of this podcast, I'm going to like hint at something like that. Big things popping. And then uh, it'll, of course, be the classic T-shirt of Sailor Moon drinking lean. I almost. OK, it wasn't Sailor Moon drinking lean. But the other yeah. day, Autumn and I were doing some like ironic hoodie shopping. And we found this uh-huh. hoodie, which was like a 90s style anime cat girl saying pog. yes i was like uh i don't have fifty dollars for that i mean my 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 husband mark does have a uh like a long sleeve shirt that is beatrice from umineko vaping Mm -hmm. which like it fucking rules but every time i see it i'm just like oh that's sailor moon and she's drinking (laughs) (laughs) that's true 
shout out to Mark for uh, having that, and shout out to uh, I believe ZC designed that shirt. Mm-hmm. So those are two shout outs I want to cover off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we about done. Yeah, I think we're done. Uh, let's Hell get yeah. out. Let's get out before we hit two hours. Let's do it. Oh my god, it's a nice short podcast. Peace. <laughs> Bye.